0: Thank you. Alright right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are continuing a whole new week on the book of Psalms. Hey, we've kind of had a a big moment. We're in the triple digits for the book of Psalms. Psalms 100, 101, 102, and we're going to walk through Psalm 102 today. Now, some people would say that, you know, this is a psalm of lament. Uh, I, I would say yes, but I'd also like to say it ends... As a messianic psalm, Kevin, we've talked about this because our phrase for the Book of Psalms, our one-word mentality, is what Kevin for the Book of Psalms. King of glory, King of glory. So when you hear it's a messianic psalm, what should you hope for, Kevin? In the, in the psalm already. Somehow it points to the coming Messiah, either the first time or the second. Yep, time. good, Amen. And so that will happen towards the very, very end, twenty-five, twenty-six, and twenty-seven, to the point where the New Testament even quotes it. So this should be one of those, like, ah, oh, yeah, that really makes. Makes sense. And so, uh, Lord, I'm just going to pray for a new week. I'm just going to pray that you would open the ears of the listeners. Open up the ears of our students today, that we would continue to see a fresh perspective uh, of what you're saying through the Word of God. Bless this time today. And I pray that as we're, as we're listening, I pray that you'd bring clarity and remove any distractions today. In your name we pray. Amen. Now look at the, the subtitle, the subscription. Okay. It says, a prayer of an afflicted person who is weak and pours out his lament before the Lord. That little title right there is super unique. You never hear this. You never see this usually in the book of Psalms. And so we, we don't know the name of the author. We just know Kevin. What are some of the characteristics of that? When you look at your scripture, what, how, how is he described again? Uh, mine says afflicted. I think he's he's probably, he's tired He's wore out and he's just pouring out his heart to God. And this is a person describing himself, right? So, hey, how's your day today? Afflicted. Hey, how you feeling? Pretty weak, right? I mean, but this is a person who is truly honest and he has, he's lamenting. This is the description of the psalmist. So when you know that, (laughs) like you're probably going to get a humdinger of a depressing one. Right? I mean, in in some sense, this is the perspective because it's written after the destruction of, uh, possibly of Jerusalem. If you go to verse, Kevin, go to verse 8. Here here would be a couple things, maybe why they get this. My enemies taunt me all day long. They ridicule, ridicule, they curse me. If you go to verse 14, uh, for your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dust. And then if you go to verse 16, for the Lord will rebuild Zion, he will appear in his glory. Well, if you think that he's going to rebuild Zion, what would that automatically imply? That it's been destroyed. That it's been destroyed. So there is a good chance that Jerusalem has been part of lamenting is because the city that this psalmist loves, I mean, has been wiped out. So you're talking, this is probably pre-Nehemiah and Ezra coming back. Correct, because if you go to Jeremiah 25:11. We're now saying seventy years of captivity. Jerusalem has been destroyed. So now there's seventy years again, I this is not a hundred percent, this would be based on what we just read. Jeremiah twenty five, eleven, twelve says, This whole land will become a desolate ruin. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for seventy years, verse twelve. When the 70 years are completed, I'll punish the king of Babylon and that nation. This is the Lord's declaration that the land of the Chaldeans for their guilt, and I will make it a ruin forever. So after the 70 years, guess what the prayer is? Lord, rebuild Zion. This is why the person's afflicted. They're weak. They're lamenting. Maybe they've been a part of the 70 years of like... (sighs) Lord, please, I know it says in verse 16, uh, like the Lord is gonna rebuild Zion. He's gonna appear in his glory. So there, it, it, it it starts off as a lament and it ends with hope. This is your backdrop of the psalmist, the unknown author. The guy is possibly gonna be experiencing freedom. Uh, In fact, if you go to Jeremiah 29, 10, just kind of the bigger picture as well. Remember, 70 years of captivity. Lord, you're gonna rebuild Zion. And Jeremiah twenty nine ten says, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. I mean, that's the prophetic word. And then everybody knows Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, 11, right? This is the magnet. This is the poster. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's what the psalmist is holding on to. There is hope then God's going to do something in Zion. But until then, he starts off in verse one. He says this, Lord, hear, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Like how, how many times you guys, I told you about a story about a, a, a new friend of ours who just said, man, I, I haven't had God. This is what I sense. God hasn't answered my prayers in a couple of years. So, God, don't hide your face. I need you, it says in the verse, listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. God, I would like to pray in Psalm 5, I'd like you to actually uh, answer me this day. Like, I don't want to wait a week for my prayer to be answered. Amen? Oh, come on. Everybody's an amen on this one. Like, we always want God to answer our prayers and we really would like it And the reality is, is that's what the psalmist says. He says, God, I need you to answer me quickly when I call. How many do not like it when you're on your phone, you call somebody and they don't answer their phone, and you're like, I know you have your phone in your pocket. Like, I know it's right beside you. You looked at it like, oh, Gavin McElravey. Hmm." Like, God, I see you call. I'm calling. I know you see I'm calling. Pick it up. Verse three says this. For my days vanish like smoke. You know what that means? I don't have a whole lot of time here. I'm kind of tired of this whole, if it is a 70 year deal, I'm tired of the situation that I'm in. I actually feel physically like I'm kind of wasting away. And he actually gets into this description of this, my days vanish like a smoke. Like his thought is, is Kevin, it's quick. If you would, would you go to Psalm 144 verse 4. That's a lot of fours, Mindy. 144 verse four. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. That's what the psalmist says. God, if you don't answer me, like it's going to get worse. And so here's how I know like it's getting worse. He says, and my bones burn like a furnace. And so he begins to describe this, uh, and I like what John MacArthur says, this emotional and physical toll that the psalmist is actually taking. <clears throat> so like when you are weak and afflicted, he's actually talking physically here. Like I, don't, I don't know if I can keep going much longer. Psalm 31, verse 10. Uh, okay, Psalm thirty-one, ten. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief, my years with groaning, my strength has failed because of my sinfulness and my bones waste away. Like there's n- my, it's just not working right now. Remember, my life is going to vanish quickly. I need you to answer. So he begins to describe honestly how he's feeling weak. So he describes it with his bones. He describes it with his heart. He says in verse four, my heart is afflicted, withered like grass. I, I actually think this is a weird description like, who's ever equated their heart with grass? The psalmist. Mm, thanks, Kevin. Apparently the psalmist. Why, why, why does he say, my heart is like withering like grass? Kevin, if you go to Psalm 90, verse 4 and 5. I mean, I think you know where we're going with this, but it, it ties in with the vanishing like smoke. But Psalm 90, verse 4 and 5. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night, verse 5. You end their life. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In other words, it's just, boom, it's gone. Here it goes. It just, and in verse six, it says, in the morning, it sprouts up and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. My heart is going to come and go. So my bones are on fire. And oh, by the way, my heart, it's, it's probably going to make it till tomorrow. That's it. That's all I got. God, would you answer me quickly? And I love, and he says, I even forgot to eat my food. Back in verse five, uh, verse four. Sorry, I even what does that? What does that have to do with anything? I have a great idea, but what do you think? I mean, it's kind of one of the basic things, and we kind of all want to eat. There's routines of the re- eating, but he's he's so heartbroken and that he doesn't even know that he's supposed to eat. Okay, I think people that are in distress. People that deal with depression, people that deal with anxiety, people that deal with worry, people that don't know how to function in life because it's so consuming, they don't eat. People that grieve. Even people that leave, grieve the loss of a loved one. They, sometimes they go through this period like they don't have any appetite. It, that's what he's even saying. Like, it's so bad, you guys. I'm not even eating. He says in verse 5, he gives one more description of his body. So he goes from bones to heart then he says, verse five, because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. That's a gross image. You know what that means? It's barely making it. Like, like I'm trying to get you to show my flesh. is just barely there. Like that doesn't work because that's not the case for me. Go ahead. It's freeing, Kevin. So here's the deal, you guys. He is lamenting. And so this is where he describes his body. He describes his body of, I am, it's so bad my entire body is, and this is crazy to say this, and I totally agree. Okay. I think some sickness we bring on ourselves. Okay. I'm not saying because of sin. I'm not saying, like, here's what I mean. Okay. I'm going to say it for myself so I can say, when I get anxious and I worry, I actually think that brings on for me sometimes colds. I really do. I think I internalize some things, stomach stuff. I, I think I bring on some of that stuff because I just can't keep giving it to the Lord. Does that sound too far stretched? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Like I'm not, and somebody's going to go. Well, Kyle, that means now you're saying if somebody gets cancer, it's because they've internal. I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying for me, I know when I'm anxious. I know when I'm worried, and I know that sometimes when I get sick, I, I kind of bring it on myself. Now, when you have kids and their kids are at school and they get the flu or the fever, and, and then you live in their house, like. I Like, I get that. So I'm not saying this is the only except. I'm just saying this happens. This is why his bones and his heart and his, he is grieving over something. He's lamenting over something. And then he's like, okay, if you don't believe that scenario, I'm now going to describe three more unclean animals. (laughs) He goes, I'm like a desert owl. Some would call it even a pelican. It's kind of an interesting description, like an owl among the ruins. And then he says, I stay awake. I'm like a solitary bird on a roof. I just think sometimes we actually feel like we're just sitting on a roof by ourselves. Like, I stay awake, awake, I can't sleep, I'm not eating. I mean, can you find a better description of somebody experiencing, maybe not depression, but just anxiety, lamenting, grieving? Like, this is not a good scenario. My city, Jerusalem, is completely distraught, but yet I know possibly there's hope. But right now I'm in this position of like, how am I going to get out of this? And does anybody even care? I feel literally all alone. I feel horrible. My body is a mess. And in fact, in verse eight, it continues on. And it says, my enemies taught me all day long. So if they do find me sitting on a roof as a lonely bird, they're now making fun of me. They ridicule and oh, by the way, they curse me. Why do they got to say those, those mean things? I eat ashes. Look at that one. Like Bread. And mingle my drinks with tears. That's not a really good menu item, by the way. Nobody wants to eat ashes and throw in some tears. Like, we're talking about possibly even weeping over the ruins of Jerusalem. Like, this is what I have, This this is all we have left. And the tears just keep falling. And in verse 10, because of your indignation and wrath, for you have picked me up and now I'm a piece of trash, you've thrown me. Aside, Like, that's how I feel, God. If I'm not just sitting by myself and people are making fun of me, I just feel like you've literally kicked me to the curb. When I say to the curb, I feel like a piece of trash and I feel like anything can come and pick me up at any time. Can you go to Psalm 51 verse 11 for me? Psalm 51, verse 11. I mean, you want to talk about a person who is truly desperate. Look, Look at David's word. He says, do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is a great description of, honestly, of verse 10 in Psalm 102. Like, I feel like I am being put aside from the presence of God. You've literally just said, I'm done with you. Like, this is how our people feel. This is how I feel. Now, regardless of how they got there, remember that? Isn't that the truth? Sometimes in our lamenting and crying out in anger to the Lord, we forget, we put ourselves there. But at the same time, this is the reality of where we're at. And in verse 11, he, he paints this picture, The psalmist, this unknown psalmist describing possibly the city destruction of, of Jerusalem. He says, my days are like a lengthening shadow. Uh, Just because it says the word lengthening doesn't mean that it's a positive term. Anytime you hear the word shadow, Kevin, usually shadow means... It's getting dark. It's short, it's dark, and it's not going to last long. And that's why he says, here's the grass image, and I wither away like grass. My life is going to end short because God, you're deciding to punish me and put me out. And in verse 12, you, Lord, are enthroned forever. So all of a sudden, there's like this... There's this switch. He's done venting. He's done complaining. He's done crying. He's done moaning. He's done groaning. He's like, hey, well, at least maybe I should try a different angle and let's talk about who the Lord is. And so I do like this perspective. I think it's something as a a psalmist for all of us, we can learn, like vent to the Lord, but at some point you got to turn to the Lord. You can only stay rock bottom so long. And when you stay rock bottom, you're going to stay there until you get your eyes off of yourself and you get your eyes on the Lord. This is the best transition that you're going to see in the scriptures about somebody saying my life is horrible to God. Maybe you can do something about this. And I know there's people listening today. I promise you they're in the pit and you're like, well, I don't know how the hell I'm going to get out of this thing. I can tell you in verse 12, it's pretty clear. You look to the Lord. You might have put yourself there, but he's always ready to extend a hand. To any one of you. He is a God of hope, not a God of hell. He wants to walk with you. He wants to help you. And the psalmist says, but you, Lord, you're enthroned forever. You are, in other words, the God and king. You're in charge. And your fame endures to all generations. In other words, there is a shift and it's a really cool shift. MacArthur says it well. It shifts from earth to heaven At some point, you guys, we got to get our eyes off of the earth mentality. When you stay only earthly, you miss the heavenly perspective. And he says in verse 13, you will rise up and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. You know what I love about verse 13? There's an advocate for Jerusalem. There's an advocate that says, I'm done with this, this, captivity, I'm done with this period of time. God, I need you to step up. And the timing was perfect because if it really is the timing, the 70 years is up. And this person of discernment knows that and walks into that. And it's a conversation we talked about before the recording. Like I actually believe God has a calling. Uh, and there's a season and a time that God's going to do something incredible with the city of Jerusalem today. I actually believe we're walking into that appointed time. It just takes people believing that God has a plan and a purpose now for the city of Jerusalem. If it's not just Jerusalem, it could be your life. But you have to embrace that moment that God wants to give you. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion for it's time to show favor to her. I love that phrase. The appointed time has come here's the cool picture of what MacArthur says, and I don't want to miss this. I'm sorry, this is Warren Wearsby. He says, the throne of David has gone. Right? That's a true statement. But the son of David is to come. I love that thought. Even though the throne of David has gone, what they know, the son of David is yet to come. And in verse 14, for your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dust, then, watch this, then the nations will fear the name of Yahweh and all the kings of the earth your glory. This, my friends, is an awesome picture that the Lord is going to reign over all the nations. But at the same time, he prays, God, I need you to show up and answer my prayer now. I mean, we talked about this in Psalm 96, 97, and 98 last week. Like, this is a messianic psalm of the King of glory coming, you guys. Verse 16, here it is again. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. You know what I love about this is? This person somehow, way knows the prophetic word or this person has radical faith. But either way, this person believes God is bigger than the destruction that he sees. He's bigger than the ashes that he's eating. He's bigger than the tears that are just falling down his face. He actually believes God is a promising God who will fulfill what he has said he's going to do. Restoration of Zion is coming. In this context, he's talking about it being rebuilt. I actually believe it's really coming when he comes back. In verse 17, it says, Oh, by the way, he'll pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. And he says in verse 18, This will be written for a later generation. I love that. Don't you love that? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm writing this (laughs) for a later generation. And a newly created people will praise the Lord. There's a guy named Alexander uh, McLaren, and he says, Zion cannot die while Zion's God lives. Did you catch that? I love this phrase if you think about it. Zion cannot be done. Like, in other words, the city of Jerusalem can't just disappear as long as Zion's God lives. So as long as God is alive and present, which, by the way, Kevin? He is. He is, and it will happen forever. You can plan and promise. You can plan on the promise of God that God is not done yet with Jerusalem. How do you get through this? There's there's more here. Let me read through this and maybe we'll come back. It says this in verse 19. It says, He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord's gazed out from heaven to earth to hear a a prisoner's groaning, groaning, uh, to set free those condemned to die. So like this is now from God's viewpoint. The psalmist is crying out, He believes this can happen. Now God's looking down. Oh yeah, I hear the prisoners groaning. He set free those condemned to die. Why? So He's going he's to bring freedom so that they might declare the name of Yahweh in Zion and praise his, and His praise in Jerusalem. So God actually wants to respond to these prayers because He actually wants His name lifted up. He actually wants people to praise Him in Jerusalem. He's going to set them free. And in verse 22, it says, when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord. Okay, verse 22, uh, th- this ultimately is going to happen, you guys, when Christ comes. This little passage, verse 22, is an incredible picture of actual the Messiah reign. Kevin, you can go to Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, please. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4 says The vision that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Remember, this would be the period of, hey, it's coming back. Jerusalem is going to be fulfilled. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths, for instruction will go out of Zion. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, verse four. And then he's going to settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. And I love this picture. They will turn their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against other nations and they will never again train for war. When Christ comes back to rule over, yes, you can see this happen. It's a pretty cool picture, isn't it? But it started off as a psalmist saying, oh, dear Lord, I don't know and how I'm going to get out of this. I don't like this situation. And then it's like everything flipped. He got his eyes off of himself. When you deal with anxiety or worry or depression, part of the problem is, is that we're looking at ourselves. Now, you can say, Kyle, you don't know how extreme it is. I, I don't. I just know for me, whenever I worry, you know what it really is? It's really like, how am I going to do this? But I have to have the perspective, God, how can you do this? Easier said than done, but it's the model the psalmist gives us today. It says in verses 23 and following, He's broken my strength in mid-course. He's shortened my days. So now the psalmist is back and he's like, hey God, uh, Verse 24, I say, my God, don't take me in the middle of my life. In other words, I, I want to live longer, by the way, God. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago, whew, 25, 26, and 27, here we go. Long ago, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servant's children, in verse 28, will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you. Here we have one of the most incredible pictures of Christ from the beginning to the end. A God who is from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Hebrews 1, verse 10, 11 and 12. Hebrews 1, 10, 11 and 12, it says this. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands in verse 11 they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like clothing you will roll them up like a cloak and they will they will be changed like a robe but you are the same and your years will never end I love this Christ is eternal while we had a beginning Christ created but we were created All this text does, you guys, is it shows as a messianic psalm, it it affirms the eternality and the deity of Christ. Oh, by the way, from the beginning to the end. It's a pretty powerful picture. If you do the study, you guys, of Christ from the very beginning to the end, it's, it's all over the place. In Psalm 2 and Proverbs 30 and John 17 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 13. And here's the cool part. You can fight through this situation. You can fight through the tough stuff. You know that, right? When you have an understanding that Christ will always be with you. That makes sense? Like he's, he, he's never going to just leave you in a pit. He's never just going to leave you in a hole. I'm going to just, I'm going to say the points. I'm not going to write them down. I'm not going to teach on them. I'm just going to say them. Because if you go to 1 Timothy six twelve, this is the mentality that I want you to have. When your Jerusalem is broken, when your home is distraught, when your finances are tough, your health isn't well. In 1 Timothy six twelve, it says, you fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and, and have made a good confession before many witnesses. And so I'll, I'm just going to write one simple phrase. And it's one that I think that the church needs to embrace more and more. Fight. uh, I'll just say, fight the good fight of faith. You know what I hear? When I hear fight the good fight, it means you're persistent. It means you're persevering. It means you're actually doing this. And how do you do this? When you take hold of eternal life. Because you've been called to do this, to actually be a reflection of him amongst the other people. So, This is going to sound like a crazy source, but the Mental Health Grace Alliance. Okay, so a a ministry that understands the mental condition when you go through these times, they say, here's how you fight the good fight. One, your breakthrough in Christ has already been fulfilled. You can do the fight because Christ has already done the fight for you. And then they continue on and say the wholeness and oneness with God is fulfilled and there is never a distance or separation. when you realize that Christ has already done the fighting and oh by the way he never separates from you there's nothing that can get in the way and here's what I love his grace works within us for our benefit he will give you exactly what you need and then when you realize that you're satisfied in him there's nothing that you have to do to get more satisfaction it's because of Christ in your life you can fight the good. It sounds a lot simpler just teaching this than living this. But when you hold on to who Christ is in your life, anything is possible. The new Jerusalem <laughs> is possible. Have a great day, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow.